Hello and welcome to the December 18th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is awesome to have everybody here with me today, and of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you as well. So it's been a few days. Uh, I believe last week was the last time that we recorded an episode. It's now Tuesday, and I want to say that last Tuesday we might have uh, even recorded. It might be a week or so ago. I'm not exactly sure, but I want you all to know that a day does not go by in which I don't think about producing some kind of an episode. Now, obviously, my schedule doesn't always allow for it, but every single day when Mr. Joe wakes up, I wake up with the sole intention, believe it or not, and this might be very hard for people to believe, but one of the first thoughts that pop into my head each and every day when I wake up is exactly when and how I am going to record a podcast. Now, sometimes that thought enters my mind and quickly goes away when I come up with the conclusive reality of the situation that my day is just simply not going to allow it. But for the most part, I ponder around in my mind and I try to figure out some way, somehow that I could actually accomplish doing a podcast for my audience. Because I really, honestly, everybody, when I don't do it, my days are very different. I I recognize that when I am able to produce a podcast, not only do I feel good beforehand, When I sit down and I get ready to hit that record button, I'm extremely excited about doing so. But afterwards, when I hit the stop button, it's almost like I have a peace of mind where um, I'm just satisfied. I feel like I can continue throughout my day because I know there are people that are out there that rely heavily on this podcast. And I'm starting to learn that more and more each day as more and more emails come through. I mean, guys, we have close to 300,000 listeners already. I know you you might find that hard to believe, but one of the perks that Mr. Joe gets with my podcast creation subscription is I can view statistics of who is listening to my podcast, where most of the listeners are coming from, and exactly how many listeners I have. And I could tell you right now that If you combine all the major platforms, we're looking at about 300,000 listeners. And that's a huge deal. A huge, huge deal. Uh, Podbean has only recorded uh, statistically, I think, about 18,000, maybe a little less in terms of downloads, which is still quite a bit. So my Podbean audience is is definitely downloading, (laughs) downloading like crazy, Uh, and I appreciate it. I think it's great. I really do, because um, as I've said many times before, we are a family, and uh, a family that I think um, really does not get very tired of one another. Um, So many times I've said in the past, you, you really, when it comes to your family, you don't get to pick your family. It is what it is, and you just kind of have to make the best of it. Uh, But with this family, 
Um, it's a different family. It's, it's a bipolar family. And some of us are affected by a mental illness. And for those of us who are not, we usually have somebody within our family that is struggling with a mental illness. So uh, it's important, if I haven't said this a million times, I'll say it a million and one times, that it's very important that this podcast gets produced as, as much as humanly possible. So uh, what I'm trying to say, guys, is that I try to every day. And I apologize that I can't, but I do my very best. For what it's worth, here we are. We got an episode going today, and I think it's going to be a good one. Before I uh, hop right into the topic, I think it's extremely important that I report on my latest physical symptoms of my tooth. And guess what? I'll save everybody a lot of time and a lot of listening energy, and I'll just say, not much has changed. Not much at all. Um, the, uh, the tactics that I'm using to care for my tooth, or my implant, changed a little bit this morning as I decided that I'm now going to use peroxide to rinse out my mouth. Um, but I, I, guys, I still can't put my finger on it. I really don't know. What I will say again, it's not getting better, but it's not getting worse. Um, the pain has kind of, um, subsided in every possible spot under my nose and above my tooth, except for one particular spot, which feels like it's in back of the tooth now. Uh, so who knows? Guys, I don't care anymore. I really don't. I just go throughout my day and do what I have to do, and I await the time when possibly this uh, nightmare will end one of two ways. One, the pain and the infection will go away, or two, my implant is going to fail, and I'm going to have to run out of work and run to a dentist and take care of everything. Now, I also wanted to clarify, I listened to my last podcast, which I, I really don't do a whole lot, but sometimes if I don't have the, um, the media or the podcast or the radio station that I like to listen to on the way home from work, if there's nothing good brewing on the uh, radio that I can hear, sometimes I'll go back and listen to my podcast. And I recognize that I did make an error in, uh, in the sense where I said everything from November health insurance benefit-wise would be covered. I was actually referring to December. I will be covered for the month of December. November's a mess. Although I thought I had coverage, I do not have coverage. I will not have coverage unless my old insurance company reinstates me for that month after my appeal letter. I doubt very much that they will. So the moral of the story is Mr. Joe will be paying medical bills from November for a very long time to come. It is what it is. I'm not going to get crazy over it, okay? I'm just not. Uh, in terms of my own family, not immediate, but, well, I guess you could call it uh, somewhat immediate in terms of my parents. I got to see my mother and father the other day. And in terms of the visit and the reason behind the visit, I'm not going to get into that this episode, but I am going to touch upon it during the next time we have a conversation. Uh, so let, let's keep that in mind that I will be exploring the reason as to why I made a visit to my parents. I did bring my wife and I brought little Mickey along with me. My other two children were not with me at the time. Um, and we got to see my parents. It was a short period of time. We stopped by uh, right before um, my son's basketball game. Um, so, I, I, you know, it is what it is. My mother's annoying. 
she is. She'll always be annoying. I mean, you know, she just doesn't stop asking asking questions and, you know, when are you coming, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, I need to know. And the truth is, we really don't know yet. And most of the times I don't know because I don't know what the hell my ex-wife's plans are and what kind of difficulty she's going to give me for the holidays in terms of driving and visitation and all that stuff involved. So as nicely as I could possibly say it, I'm like, you know, Ma, we just don't know. So that's that. Um, other than that, I think I'd like to delve right into the the content of what I'd like to discuss today. And just so everybody understands the nature of this discussion, I'm going to try to keep it as clean as possible. Um, I have no issue talking about this. Uh, whether it was in person or over a podcast, either way, it doesn't make a difference to me. Uh, somebody with bipolar disorder, uh, specifically one like myself, who doesn't have a whole lot of problems publicly speaking to others, um, usually doesn't have a problem with this kind of information or this kind of a topic. Um, it's become a little bit more sensitive over the course of the last year, considering the fact that I am now medicated, so things don't necessarily pour out of my mouth like they used to. Um, but I will say some of this information that we're going to discuss is somewhat sensitive. It's certainly private on my part. It's not going to be the easiest thing to convey to everybody. Uh, but I will say this, whatever I share will be about myself and my own experiences, and I will not be sharing any experiences or feelings or issues, so to speak, preferences of my wife or my ex-wife, for that matter. Uh, that will not be part of the discussion. However, when I refer to certain situations in terms of the time frames, I believe you will know exactly who I'm referring to and what I'm referring to in terms of my relationships, okay? If, if we do need to get into specific time frames, which some of these um, points I like to bring up, they certainly will. Now, I, I, I'm sure that I've mentioned some of this in the past, but we'll review it because we've never really touched on the current day. We've talked about the past and hypersexuality and some of the things that went on in Mr. Joe's life that I'm sure is relatable to many of you with bipolar disorder, but if anything, I think we'll start from the beginning, or if anything at all, I think what we need to do when we're talking about sexual dysfunction and medications, I think it's important that we split this up into two categories. One would have to be pre-medication days, and one would have to be post-medication days. And the good thing is, for the sake of informative speeches and informative information that I can convey to my audience, well... I have two sets of pre-med days and two sets of post-med days. <laughs> so um, I can tell you this, that both of my experiences with pre-med and post-med were more or less identical to each other. Um, they basically took the exact same, uh, I guess you could call, turn for the better or turn for the worse, whatever the situation might be. But uh, again, both experiences or all four of the experiences, two and two, two post two pre-meds, um, are, are, they, they kind of coincide with one another. In other words, the two posts and the two pre's, they kind of line up with the, one another. So if I was to take an analyzation from the two 
time frames, I would say that I'm pretty much spot on in terms of what medication does to me and what medication doesn't do to me. Now, I guess obviously we would start with the pre-medicine days, and there is no better way to describe Mr. Joe in terms of my sexuality, my sexual preferences, my desire to be with women and engage with women sexually, again, pre-med days, Mr. Joe was an absolute animal, complete animal. And I could look back on it now, and I say those things because I do know the way my mind functioned, and at the time I didn't know it was functioning in a bipolar manic aspect. But looking back on it now, a lot of times we can't make sense of the situation. We can't understand how our minds could go that way or we could actually even consider doing something at least until we discover that we're bipolar and it all makes sense. So younger, none of it made sense. As a young kid, even before the teenage year, the pre-teens, Mr. Joe wanted to explore everything. Really, I knew what was happening down there. I was very well aware of the erections that I was having, the fact that I, I, I knew something needed to be done. I wasn't sure exactly what it was. As a matter of fact, I didn't really learn that until my teen days. Um, and it was not until I was 16, believe it or not, is when I lost my virginity. And I will tell you this, before 16... I was what many women throughout high school um, and even middle school, because seventh grade was my very first kiss, but from seventh grade on, well, believe it or not, I had a, in sixth grade I had a girlfriend who was actually in ninth grade. Um, so I always attracted you know, multiple women from different walks of life. And in sixth grade, apparently, I attracted older women. But I, I bring up sixth grade because from sixth grade up until I was 16, there was a common theme that went around with Mr. Joe. And that theme was Mr. Joe was definitely a ladies' man. Every woman seemed to like Mr. Joe, but Mr. Joe didn't do a whole lot about it in terms of sexuality. And I can tell you right now, up until the age of 16, I was extremely scared. I was extremely sexual, but I was always concerned about the way that I performed. And I think, if anything, I would have been more comfortable actually having intercourse than touching a woman. So I never really did at all up until the age of 16, because I was always frightened of what to do and how to do it and what a woman's vagina was made out of and where to touch and how to please them. And I never really knew, but let me tell you something. As of 16 years old, my God, did I figure it out real quick. Um, so I went through that brief stage of not knowing. By the time I was 16, once I, <laughs> I had a sexual relationship with my first girlfriend, it was pretty much all over from there. At that point in time, Mr. Joe's I guess you can call it bipolar sexual mentality kicked in. And sex with one person in particular was no longer an option for Mr. Joe. My thought process was to go out and get as many girls as possible. Doesn't matter what you're perceived as or by from the school. Because 
throughout the entire process, what you're going to do is always maintain a girlfriend. Always maintain a girlfriend. However, you're going to break up with that girl real quickly and move on to the next one and have sexual relationships with that one. And I have to say, at a very young age, um, and, and again, for the purposes of not getting too dirty on this podcast, I, I figure, though, I have to be honest with everybody, and I won't get into harsh details, but even at the age of 16, Mr. Joe was at, uh, already engaging in anal sex, okay? Um, and that was with women that were younger than me, the age of 14, um, women that were older than me, uh, women that were the same age as me, and I had no limitations, really. I had no limitations, and I had this way about me that I could literally talk a woman into doing anything I wanted. I was really that smooth. So as many women as humanly possible throughout high school was my ultimate goal. And on top of that, which something I've mentioned many times in the past, all my sexual relationships were more or at least equal to the fact that I wanted to create a social and emotional bond with the person. And what I mean by that, it wasn't only just sex, it was letting this person know just how much I love them and they were the first person to ever make me feel this way and I would give them the world and nobody else could do this to Mr. Joe and, um, you know, really pull them along for the ride uh, up until the end in which I cut them off and break their hearts ultimately break their hearts. And, and the sad thing is that social, emotional, and sexual bond that I wanted to create with multiple women, well, unfortunately, that continued into my marriage. Now, my marriage, so to speak, um, obviously was not a very good one. Um, I had found a, another woman who was getting married uh, two short months before my wedding was planned. Um, she was terribly unhappy with her fiancé. I was with mine as well. And it makes a person wonder, well, why in the hell did you get married? Who knows? All right, I've said it many times before. I had, you know, I was young. We had invested in a wedding already. We paid our own money. And I was the type of person that didn't want to lose all that money and disappoint, disappoint all the family members. So I went ahead and went through with it. And, uh, you know, ultimately I got two beautiful kids out of it. But that's really all I could say. Everything else was a nightmare. So before my marriage... Uh, I found a woman at work, of course, because it was always at work, always something transpired at work, um, that, um, you know, I easily was able to convince to have an affair with me. And now, I do believe in my heart that she also had bipolar disorder, so it was a pretty, pretty easy combination, but, you know, her and I used to literally speak every single night. I mean, we'd be at work together. We'd go on breaks together. We'd do our thing. Um, my wife or my girlfriend at the time did not live in the same town as Mr. Joe. Uh, so I was able to hang out with this woman on a consistent basis. Um, and at night, really what was the saddest thing of all is I used to rush off the phone with my fiance just so I can get on the phone with this particular girl. And we literally had phone sex every single night. And when I say phone sex, everybody, I'm talking about dirty, downright dirty, nasty language over the phone in which both of us would masturbate. And that actually went on for a very long time with Mr. Joe in terms of my 
dating of my ex-wife before we actually got married, I had discovered the internet. And I just was, you know, when my mania was heightened, everybody, I would literally stay up for days at a time, days at a time, and I would hang out in chat rooms. I really would not sleep. And I would just seek out women that I could talk to, have phone sex with, meet privately. None of it mattered to me. Consequences didn't matter. None of it, none of it mattered. None of it mattered. And again, this actually continued into my marriage. And as a bipolar manic maniac, sexually, which as many of us find ourselves to be, I cannot tell you the number of times that I either had to cover my tracks or I forgot to cover my tracks. You know, after a while, you start to do so many, so many nonsensical, unethical, unfaithful things as a person that's suffering from bipolar disorder, specifically mania, that you sometimes forget to cover your tracks. And honestly, you know, when you're living a lie like that and you just cannot prevent yourself from becoming sexually invested with another woman and utilizing all the tools that you have at your disposal. And what I mean by that is your, your romantic speeches and your motivating and um, enticing ways and ultimately making that person, and it doesn't matter whether they're married, dating, single, whether you're married, whether you're dating, it doesn't matter. When you have bipolar disorder and you're manic, you have this gift of gab. You have this ability to make people just believe you. And that continued not only for high school and college, but again, premarital and marital, it continued. And I will say this, here's the other interesting thing that everybody should understand is it got to a point in my marriage with my ex-wife, regardless of whether I was uh, with her or with another woman, where my self-medicating became pretty intense. And it wasn't just a combination of alcohol and marijuana. As everybody knows, there became a point in life where I um, started to get mixed up in cocaine. And just for what it's worth, while I still consider this to be a pre-medicine stage, at the time, cocaine was my medicine. And what ended up happening was Mr. Joe started to only be able to function sexually while being under the influence of cocaine. So when I was hospitalized... The first time around for my manic episode in which I tried to commit suicide. Um, and I came out of that hospital and I attempted to have sex without medication. Because remember, when I was in the hospital, I was on medication. Then I came off medication pretty much immediately because the side effects of Abilify and Lexapro were horrific. So I, I attempted to engage back into this sexual um, stage of life or, or advances, sexual advantage that I had only known all my life. And while I still wanted to build the social-emotional bonds and get involved that way, sexually, I was incapable 
of performing the way I wanted to because I was no longer under the influence of cocaine. So as you can imagine, this was quite a frustrating experience, ultimately, which really led to more self-medicating, which is when opiates became a part of my life. But I even, um, I even abused opiates while I was medicated for a short period of time. And um, at that point in time, I had gotten on some medications, and we've talked about them in the past, Depakote, um, Lamictal, um, Cymbalta, quite a few that I've talked about many, many times. And I consider this to be my post-med days, which, again, would be directly after the hospital and after my sobriety, so to speak. Um, so in other words, I went into a hospital sexual on cocaine, came out of the ha hospital not on cocaine anymore, not as sexual, um, really not interested in sex, but still had that manic mentality where I would go out and get as many women as possible in terms of just getting them to like me and having some kind of secret affair, even if it didn't even if it didn't include sex, I was okay with a secretive text relationship or secretive phone call relationship. At the time, texts were really not that big of a thing, but I liked it. I liked the, um, the anxiety of it all, the challenge of hiding it from my wife, like a sicko, like a complete sicko. So then, then the medications came into play, the Depakotes and Volta, all the other things that I mentioned. And I got to tell you, for four years... Four years, I had absolutely no desire whatsoever. I couldn't fake it, couldn't pretend I liked it, didn't give two you-know-whats about it. Um, and combine the fact that I was an absolute zombie for those four years, mainly just going to work and then coming home and sleeping, and some days not even being able to get up and sleep, uh, you know, get up from my sleep. And then, depending on what cocktail my doctors decided to put me on then, I would go into major mania mode for a few days. You know, let's say they upped my Cymbalta. Um, for a couple of days, I'd be like a, a raving lunatic, un unable to sleep. And it was during those periods and times which I was able to find myself to be interested in sex. And of course, rather than giving it to my ex-wife, I went out and looked for it. So there were times in which I was still able to function sexually, but because it wasn't what it once was, ultimately that ended up causing me to, a lot of times, come on and off my medications, if that makes any sense, because as I would seek out other women, again, from work, <laughs> I'll never forget, I believe it was my second separation from my ex-wife. Um, you know, I developed a relationship immediately with somebody in my workplace. And, um, you know, in my attempts to have sex with her, forget about the fact that I was also doing opiates at the time. Um, so, you know, I actually had a withdrawal period in front of her, which she had no idea about. Um, but my inability to really perform used to make me go on and off medications uh, because I would want that feeling of sexuality to come back. And does this sound familiar, everybody? Think about it. The same way I've spoken about in the past, that I'm seeking that manic feeling. Well, why wouldn't a person 
seek that manic sexuality that they once had that they don't have anymore. And then I look into the fact that I finally left my ex-wife and I got with my girlfriend at the time, now my current wife. And let's put it this way. At the time I was unmedicated, thought I was doing well, self-medicating with marijuana um, throughout the entire relationship um, and thinking that I was doing good, but in retrospect, driving my wife absolutely insane, jealous, delusional, uh, putting her through a living hell through my jealousy and, and delusional thoughts, um, of which made no sense. But all the while, remember, I'm not on medication. So Mr. Joe is once again, one of the most sexual people that you could ever imagine. Now, my wife or my girlfriend at the time, she was a new thing for me and I lived with her. And I have to say, and one of the reasons why I go on record as saying, you know, this was the woman for me is because I chose not to cheat on her. She did enough for me. I mean, and, and, and guys, let's be realistic. Maybe it was the fact that I was now a bachelor to some extent again, meaning I wasn't living with my children. I could go and come as I pleased. I was living in a new woman's house, and it was like kind of new for me. So whatever it was, sexually, all I wanted to do was please her. And let me tell you something. If there was a time in which I treated her like complete crap... And I was jealous and I tortured her and I said she was cheating and fooling around and blah, blah, blah. And I made her cry. It's amazing because then the manic, the manic person in me would still think that night after I said, I'm sorry for putting you through all this, that I would still deserve sex. And when she wouldn't give it to me because she was so emotionally distraught over the things I put her through for that particular day, well, then it would become a fight again. And I would instantaneously start accusing her of, you know, not wanting to be with me because she wants somebody else. And it was just absolutely sick, complete sickness. And uh, but what I can say is that from a functioning level, by God, Mr. Joe was back. And again, post-med, no medicine, bipolar, highly sexual I mean, to the point where, and I said I wasn't going to get specific, but let me tell you, Mr. Joe turned his wife into a different woman. I mean, I had her out at, you know, sex shops and, you know, all kinds of places that I don't think she would have ever thought that she would have been. Um, trying new things, um, you know, everything you could imagine. Because, again, there were no... There are no limitations with Mr. Joe. I think I mentioned last time, while I've never had a bisexual or a homosexual experience, and I never will, um, I'm not opposed to it in terms of, you know, others doing it. It's just not something that um, gets Mr. Joe going. Interestingly enough, I never had a pornographic um, uh, addiction of any, uh, any way, shape, or form. I was absolutely addicted to the Internet in terms of my searching for real-life women and having conversations with them. I was 100% addicted, probably worse than any addiction I could have ever had. Um, but in terms of, you know, pornographic addiction, uh, I was never really into that. Um, I'd watch a porno every now and then. But, uh, you know, my thing was always I wanted the woman to myself, which was another reason why I didn't enjoy watching two women together. And my friends would always say, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? No, because I want to be the one to please. 
I don't want anybody else in that room pleasing anybody but me, or me allow, or being me being able to please that person. I don't want to watch another woman please another woman that I am supposed to please. So there were really no limitations when, when it came to Mr. Joe. There was nothing that I wouldn't say to make a woman feel as if she was on, you know, the most desirable woman in the world. I always knew exactly what to say. And I would always achieve what I wanted. And I have to tell you, it's really ironic and actually kind of sad that there has never been a time in Mr. Joe's life in which I've pursued a woman and, and have been turned down. And that's a very real, it's a real weird way of living your life. You know, I mean, the the only real thing I could think of, <laughs> and it goes back to the prude stage. When I was in ninth grade, I dated a girl who was a year younger than me because at the time I had lost all my friends. And I have discussed this story many, many of times where I had no friends. Uh, but I was able to get a girl younger than me. And she was beautiful, and Mr. Joe got her, and we dated for a long time. But she had broken up with me because I was too prude. <laughs> and um, I remember trying to deliver flowers to her house and trying to get her back, and she just wanted no part of me because I, I even though she was a year younger than me, I, I chose not to satisfy her because I was scared of what I would do and what it would make me look like if I did it wrong. So that is the one time in my life that I could think of somebody breaking my heart I was in eighth grade, and um, other than that, Mr. Joe kind of ran the show, really. There was no, no position, no, um, no, no way of going about anything that I wouldn't agree to. Didn't matter sexually what you wanted to do. I mean, it was all on the table, and I don't have to get specific, guys. It was all on the table. Didn't matter what it was, who it was being done to, who was doing it. None of it mattered. And I wish to God that that was still true for Mr. Joe. But here we are again, post-meds. Okay? And we're off the medication. And, I mean, we're on the medication, my apologies. So, obviously, now, pre-med days. I'm sorry, I might have confused everybody. But when I was with my... I called it post and pre at the same time, but let's think about this. My pre-med days are before the hospital. My post-med days are right after the hospital. But then when I separate from my ex-wife and some crazy therapist tells me that I could manage my bipolar symptoms without the use of medication, well, then I go on to pre-med again, okay? Because now for several years when I'm with my girlfriend slash my current wife, I am considered to be pre-med again, which... Obviously, as I mentioned, is a very sexual time for me and no problem in the world performing sexually. But now we are post-med days as of November 2017. So what's going on with Mr. Joe? What has brought us to this conversation, to say the least? Well, let's put it this way. I went to my doctor to get my testosterone checked. That's number one. And unfortunately for Mr. Joe, or fortunately, I don't know which way you want to look at it, my testosterone is in complete normal range. So that is not adding to my symptoms. Now, what are my symptoms? Well, I guess you could say this. If I was to be with my wife sexually, um, whether it be intercourse, oral sex, um, manual sex, you know, whatever it might be, I have no problem holding an erection at all. 
The problem is, to get there, it's just a huge task. A huge task. And what do I mean by that? Well, number one, I don't initiate it at all anymore. I don't ask about it. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with everybody. Mr. Joe, pre-med days, would walk around with erections most of the, most of the day. Because that's all I could think about. At least when I was manic, that's all I cared about was sex. It didn't matter how many partners, how often, the consequences, none of it mattered. And now, here we are, post-med, and I tell you this, I mean, I don't wake up with erections, I don't get them throughout the day, uh, it just doesn't happen, it just doesn't happen anymore, um, and, and I don't make any moves on my wife at all. Now, it's, it's conveniently worked out because she's pregnant and she's uncomfortable, but, you know, man, I don't know what, I mean, listen, I know the problem. Clearly, I know the problem. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this, if I was to masturbate also and kind of force myself to masturbate during that period in time, like, I really can't hold an erection during masturbatory periods. Whereas, you know, I guess I was called the king of masturbation um, before the medicine. And I can masturbate anytime, anywhere, any place, any, any given moment if I needed to. If it was in front of somebody, if it was alone, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Now, I, God, I don't even think about it. I really don't. And I've inquired about all these medications that I'm on, and specifically the two, the two major ones, Wellbutrin and Lamictal. And I have found mixed reviews in terms of what the Lamictal may or may not do to you. I have heard reviews of Wellbutrin saying that, if anything, it will make you more sexual. Um, and I've heard some stories about Lamictal where people go on to say that it has definitely caused some dysfunctionality when it comes to sex. Well, clearly with Mr. Joe it has, and... I guess where I'm the, here's where I'm the most torn, is should I be satisfied with the fact that I have an understanding wife who doesn't need sex on a daily basis, because number one, she ain't getting it, okay, um, and that, that when the time comes that we both do have sex with each other, that I am able to function and just be grateful for that, you know, I can come to completion, I have an erection while I'm with her. You know, all those things. I mean, listen, all the stars have to be aligned. But when they are, you know, things get done. Now, I'm not going to get into the performance of Mr. Joe because that's another one thing that I took great pride in. The fact that I was so, quote-unquote, gifted with my sexual, um, superhero sexual experiences that, you know, I can control my ability to ejaculate and I could last as long as I wanted and you know all those things and you know women oh my god look at a it's amazing how you could you know satisfy me and you know you don't even worry about yourself because that's the always the always the way that I wanted to and, and, and still want to live my sexual life is I don't care so much about myself being pleased I want to please the other person aka my wife I can be very happy even throughout my bipolar, highly manic days of pre-medication, 
it would make me extremely happy to just satisfy a woman because it would lift my ego because I knew I'd be successful in doing so. And if anything at all, it would just bring them more into me and would certainly allow them to want to please me at a later period in time or seek more pleasure. Um, so I guess my question, going back to it again, should I be grateful of the fact that when I am asked to perform, I can do so? And here's where I got off topic a little bit. Now, my performance itself, because it is so rare that Mr. Joe engages in this, well, let's put it this way. I certainly wouldn't say I'm Mr. Macho Man under the covers. It's not like I'm lasting 40 minutes, okay? You know, and, and, and it's funny because I had an experience. I knew I was, I know I wasn't going to speak about my sexual relationships but with my wife, but we did have a very funny experience. And I won't say when, it was quite some time ago, but, <laughs> you know, where it was like in and out and it was over. And I actually made her laugh because I said, man, never in my life did I think in two pumps I would be done. <laughs> and she and she laughed about it, you know, she really did. And at least I have a wife that loves me and she can laugh about it. But, you know, we're talking here six, seven, eight pumps and call it a day. That's not normal. So it's either not working and when it is working, it's not working very well because it's just finishing way too quickly. So... What the hell does Mr. Joe do? What the hell does Mr. Joe do? Well, I'll tell you this. Going back to what I said before, it's kind of like the manic feeling. I am craving that sexual desire feeling once again like I crave mania. And it just goes to show you that the two are intertwined. There's no doubt about it. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be sexual without having bipolar disorder. There are many people out there that are not bipolar and are sexual. I just happen to think those of us that have bipolar disorder can get a little more kinky, a little more freaky, can have a little less concern about the consequences, act much more on impulse, can be easily subdued or easily... Um, convinced that the relationship that we're about to have is going to mean something or the outcome of it is going to matter when many times it does not dependent upon the partner that we choose and it may ask it may it may lead somebody to ask well why the hell would you want that feeling back well it's not necessarily that feeling i just want to feel again i just want to feel I want to feel my emotions. I want to feel my body. I want to feel my, my sexual ability to perform as a man. I want to feel all those things. I want to feel alive again. And the simple truth is that when it comes to bipolar disorder, unfortunately, many of us have to make an extremely difficult decision in which it is, do I choose to have all those things that most people get in life without having to worry too much about it, meaning sex and fun and drinking and drugs and pornography. And they could do it all in a reasonable rate and then stop whenever they want. Okay? Or... 
You can be bipolar, not be medicated, and engage in all those things in a very chaotic way. And unfortunately reap all the negative benefits of it, which happens to be sexually transmitted diseases and the consequences and the the feeling afterwards and obviously not being medicated and mixing drugs and alcohol and, you know, once again having multiple partners. Yeah, I'm going to feel damn good about the sex that I had because I'm real horny now. Or do I choose what oftentimes seems to be the only other choice between the multiple choice options of bipolar disorder? Again, choice A being get off my meds and instantly get that feeling back of sexuality. Or, number two, or part B, staying on my meds and choosing life. And what do I mean choosing life? Well, many of us say that what kind of a life is it if you can't engage in all of those sexual activities? But when I refer to being on medicine and being in control of your life, unfortunately, it kind of outweighs the sex in the sense where, you know, I'm not going to jail, I'm not doing drugs, I'm able to hold down a job, I'm not insulting my wife, I'm not losing my patience with my children, I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to do as a father, as a husband, and as a man, because I have chosen to live a medicated bipolar life. But unfortunately, the downfall with choosing that option is, one, sexually, I'm not going to be anywhere near where I used to be. And two, those manic days of feeling good are pretty much over. Or at least with Mr. Joe, they only last a couple of hours. And it even more makes me understand the reason as to why people want to go back to being non-medicated. I really do. I I get it. I get it. So what we have learned here, I don't know. I really don't know. I'll tell you this. I'm not coming off medication. I'm not. Um, I I don't know if if there's any hope for me. I don't think there's any hope for me to ever return back to the ridiculous sexual ways that I once had. And maybe that's a good thing. But interestingly enough, for me... Here's what it comes down to. It makes me still feel like I'm not being who I really am. And and that's a weird thing to say because when we're off medication and we're acting like lunatics based on our mania, that's when we say many times, well, that's not the real me. But now I'm on medication and I can't perform sexually or get aroused and I'm still saying, that's not the real me. So what what do we get here? What is the answer? What is the question? What is the outcome? What does all of this mean? I think ultimately, for the vast majority of us, what it means is this. And this doesn't apply to everybody with bipolar disorder. At some point in our lives, we're going to have to make a choice. And that choice is very simple, actually. It's either to be on medication or to not be on medication. And if we're staying just within the confines of sexuality, and again, this doesn't apply to all bipolar people, but unfortunately the vast majority of us, it's this simple. On medicine, 
I am not going to engage in those sexual acts that I once engaged in or have that sexual desire that I once had. Whether it's me or whether it's not me. Whether it's the real Mr. Joe, the fake Mr. Joe, whatever it is on medication, I am unfortunately not going to experience the same sexual experiences that I experience off medication. However, if I come off medication, odds are that Mr. Joe's life, regardless of the fact that I will now last 5,000 pumps <laughs> rather than two or three pumps, my life is going to be a complete disaster all over again. Because non-medicated, there are so many things that are going to go wrong. And whether it be tied just to sexual activity or which is most likely going to be the case. It's going to dribble out into other areas, obviously. My behavior, my anger, my rage, my sadness, my rapid cycling, my mixed episodes, they're all going to come back. They're all going to come back. And for what? Just to experience just a little more of that sexual feeling that I am honestly longing for. So those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves and the decisions that we have to make um, and if it gets to us too bad in terms of not being able to function at all, well, you know what? Then maybe it's time to talk to a doctor and see if there's another medication out there that agrees with us, that allows us to engage in sex in, in an enjoyable activity, especially if our partners are suffering and getting on that medication. But obviously, it's got to be able to treat the bipolar disorder the same way that the medication previously was treating the bipolar disorder. The only difference now is it allows you to function sexually. How we get there, everybody, that's the big question. But again, we have to make a decision as to what's most important for us. And again, what it comes down to, in, if we want to really, really tie it up in a very simple fashion, it's either stability or sex is what it comes down to, sadly. Again, not for all of us. But it's stability or sex. So maybe I should be grateful that at least I'm able to perform every once in a blue moon, depending on the situation. Um, you know, so I'll never have that complete sex back, or that sexual feeling back, but at least I'll be much more stable as compared to me being off medication. Now, before I say goodbye, and I am going to say goodbye because I've been talking everybody's ears off for nearly an hour now, um, when I get into my next podcast and I talk about my visit to my parents' house, um, I want everybody to know, and this is kind of a, um, I guess you could call it a, a, a prelude, um, a cliffhanger, a, a um, statement that basically says to my audience, well, hang on, I'll be back. And you're going to want to listen to the next episode. It's almost like a marketing tool, not one that I really need to use because I have my listeners already and we're a family and we got each other's back. So regardless of how I end this podcast, I believe in my heart that you're all going to tune into the next podcast anyway. But I want to start by saying this or end by saying this, and I'm probably going to start by saying it on my next podcast again, is I've always been very honest with my audience about everything, everything that I've ever done. Everything that I plan on doing, the mistakes that I've made, the choices that I've made in the past. And 
I will say this. What I'm going to report on in the nearly 100 episodes, yes, we're coming up on 100 episodes, not yet, but soon, in the 100 episodes, or close to it, that you and Mr. Joe have been a family, this is actually going to be the hardest bit of information that I have ever said to my audience since I've been on the air. It's going to be the hardest thing for me to possibly convey, the most difficult, um, to the point where, for the first time since producing this podcast, Mr. Joe actually struggled with whether or not to lie to my audience. And, you know, this is me being transparent again. I've never thought about lying to you guys, ever. But in one breath, I'm so ashamed of what has happened that I felt the need to lie. But in the second breath, there's a positive outcome, too, based on what I'm going to tell everybody. And again, I don't want it to be misleading. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a person. I'm just Mr. Joe, somebody that you can relate to and I can relate to you and we could share our stories together and somehow, some way, hopefully through this all, we could figure it all out. In closing, I'd like to say, if you are living with a mental illness right now and you are doing well, I ask that you continue to work hard. If you love or you care about somebody with a mental illness or an addiction, I ask that you continue to support that person in the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with an addiction or a mental illness, I ask that you continue to fight, continue to battle, and most importantly, soldier on. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. I will see you guys again real soon before the holidays. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.